This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you aboard today. Coming up uh, just after the top of the hour, Mike Rupp will uh, stop by. One of our favorite analysts, Stanley Cup champion Mike Rupp. Uh, Sean Reynolds on the Winnipeg Jets, both on the ice and in the stands. Where people have been coming dressed as empty seats. Alas, just over 11,000 twice this week. Once against the LA Kings, last night against the defending Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights. Some tough numbers, some tough numbers. Okay, let's get to the Minnesota Wild here. Um, it's been a, a, a tale of two different feelings for Marc-Andre Fleury. The highs of the Montreal game, the lows of the game last night against the Los Angeles Kings. And when we talk Minnesota, we talk to Mike Russo from The Athletic. How are you today, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, good. Before we get to Minnesota, I wanted to get you to weigh in on something here, which has kind of been a, a, a hot-button topic uh, since Elliot decided to sort of pull the pin and roll the grenade. Um, it's the idea of decentralizing the draft. Now, uh, everyone's had a sort of a, a chance to weigh in on this one. Uh, teams are being asked to uh, uh, submit an official response, like a singular response, either a yes or a no uh, to the NHL by Tuesday. So uh, we talked about it, Elliot and I did on the podcast that came out this morning, and I get a note from a uh, Western Conference manager this morning uh, who says, wow, I'm so shocked that the media folks don't want to ch- don't want the draft to change. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, do you have a thought on the idea of decentralizing the draft like they do in the NFL? Well, to that GM's uh, point, I, I want it centralized, but in, I want it like in Maui every year or, or Kauai or just, uh, you know, somewhere really extravagant. We don't need to switch it around yeah. to different places. Let's just go to Hawaii every right. single year. I'm with um, you. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, look, selfishly, um, it's my favorite event of the year to cover because we get to go to all these different cool places. And get and to me, it's what makes hockey so unique. When you see every who's who yeah. in the sport in one city, in one arena, on one floor, um, to me, it's what makes hockey unique. I don't buy this whole thing that there that there's you know that there's strategic uh, disadvantages by having them on the floor. These these uh, men and women prepare like no other for these events. They have all sorts of signals at the table. They have all sorts of mechanisms to communicate. And I think that that nine times out of ten, they get who they want in the draft. I mean, are there better options to like you know, are there advantages to sitting in a in a war room and being able to just talk openly about different scenarios? Absolutely, but I don't think that we have to conform our sport to what we see in other sports. So I, I like it. I don't buy the cost thing everywhere. You're still bringing everybody into your own city. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's an expensive proposition to move a war room into a hotel, rent out rooms fly everybody in there, the team meals, but you're going to do that at home every, anyway, if you bring them in, you're, you know, you're, 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 your owners buying everybody, uh, all their, you know, their, their one big dinner and all that type of stuff. So yeah. I, I love the, the draft. I love the whole, uh, you know, getting to talk to every single athlete in person, uh, from a media perspective. So, yeah, I mean, uh, are, are we a little biased when it comes to this? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm with you 100%. It is my and or one of my favorite ten pole days or uh, on the on the NHL calendar. Um, you always get wonderful stories. I will never forget the visual of one general manager uh, at one of the drafts holding cigarettes above another one, watching him jump up to try to get them. Uh, which is one that's going to stay with me forever, and I'm, I'm not going to reveal who those two general managers were, but nonetheless. Um, but the, the one the one criticism, I'm going to get to Minnesota on this one, but one more point. I'm curious what you think about this one. The one criticism that we have heard, and this is from the, the manager's point of view, is you know how loud it is and how loud it is in the building, yeah. how loud it is on the floor. Uh, what some managers have said is if you're making a call, you have to talk really loud and you have to scream, and other tables can hear your conversation. Uh, a, do you care? Uh, B, does that resonate with you as a, a reason to centralize this thing? Well, you know, I, I will be, you know, to be a little more, um, you know, maybe serious than what I was before by putting everything in Hawaii and all that stuff. <laughs> the one thing I will say is that where I think where this really started getting a lot of talk was at the draft in Montreal, coincidentally, mm-hmm. at the Bell Center, yeah. uh, where the phones went out. And it was a major yeah. problem. I remember the the Wild were dealing with the Kirill Kaprizov situation overseas. They were dealing with Count Talbot. Talbot trade. Talbot you know, trade. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, whining that uh, Flurry just got re-signed and, and, you know, I want an extension and all that stuff. I mean, they were having to deal with this. Like, it was it was actually a nightmare for a lot of different teams when the, the whole phone system went out that day. So, I mean, you know, look, I, I, I get that whole thing. and it, but, but, again, I mean, we've been doing this for – I've covered this league for 29 years. Um, I've covered every single draft since 1997, I believe, the Pittsburgh draft. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it's like, you know, like we've gotten along pretty well. And, you know, so they got to scream at, uh, on the phone to talk to another GM, you know, boo-hoo. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get the whole reasoning why this all came apart. I do uh, totally blame Elliot. I think he's the one that created this. <laughs> when in doubt, blame freaks. That's my default setting too, Mike. I'm, exactly. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, Mike Russo with me from The Athletic. All right, Minnesota Wild, and specifically Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, the Montreal game was such a beautiful night for Marc-Andre Fleury, his friends, mm-hmm. uh, his, his, his fans, his family, his friends, all of it. Um, and a lot came crashing down last night against the uh, the Los Angeles Kings at the XL Energy Center. Can you walk us through the week that Marc-Andre Fleury has had? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was really sweet. I mean, him going up to, to Montreal and getting to see his family and then having them all come out. I talked to his sister for the story that I wrote. And, I mean, they, they openly said that, look, they, the entire family, is his mom, his sister, um, his aunts, uncles, cousins, they were all coming to the game just in case uh, that this, this was it. Now, it is yeah. not a guarantee. We all know how much this, this guy absolutely loves the sport. Um, and it's not a guarantee that he's going to retire after the season, but he is in his last year with the with the Wild, yeah. and he don't want to move his family around again. So I think that you know the 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 belief was that there was a possibility it was going to be his last game, and he performed outstandingly. The Wild defended really well, but man, when they needed him to be good, they were, especially at the end of the second period and third period um, as well. So um, it was really beautiful to see him. Uh, you know, the, the again, the fans of Montreal, they always understand the significance of a moment, and they treated totally. him with such respect all game. Uh, the, the media made him the first star, and he came out and saluted the fans, and he got an incredible ovation, and it was beautiful. So because he played well, uh, two nights later, they played him last night. I was surprised at the decision. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, look, I, I get what they're saying about their goaltending, but Philip Gustafson should be the number one on this team. He's, he's way younger. He performed from Thanksgiving on last year as good as any goaltender in the league. And he had a 41 safe shutout opening night. Did he have a terrible game in Toronto? Yeah, but so did the team in front of him at five on five. Is the blue line that he was playing in front of was, was just got awful. And so for them to not come back with them and just sort of mess around with their goaltending, I think it was shades of what we saw last year mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And I think that they've got to stop it. I, I think that, Philip Gustafson needs to be the number one. They need to ride him a little bit, and then you throw him flower in there every now and then. And I think that they probably learned a lesson last night. And, and um, you know, to me, you, you, they've got to, you know, quote-unquote, ride the Gus bus here. Well, he's been you know, listen, he's been fantastic. And, you know, the, his story is so wonderful in that. I mean, how close, Mike, do you think Gustafson was to just packing it in and, and going back to Sweden before he had that wonderful season last year for the Wild? I mean, as far as I'm led to believe, he was pretty close just to saying, you know what, it's not happening for me in the NHL. I'm punting and going back home. Yeah, he has openly said it, that he had one year left on his contract. And when he was traded here to Minnesota, he said, all right, I'll I'll give it a try. And then, you know, I think he, uh, I would say that he, you know, pretty much better than 50-50 thought that he probably had one foot back in the door and was uh, one foot out the door and was going to live a wonderful life back in his native Sweden playing professional hockey and enjoying himself. I mean, um, but he came here and he had a great, great year last year. Um, he had a, you know, a good training camp and he has the great opening night. And I just think that we're going to see probably the best of this kid uh, still to come. He's not a flashy goaltender, but he's, he's very, very even killed uh, the mm-hmm. way that he plays as he has some bad outings. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, he was a tremendous story last year with Lena Salmark and, um, and again, you know, finished second in goals against and save percentage uh, behind a team that really, really needed him last year. Uh, so what happened last night? Uh, having a peek at this thing, okay, Minnesota's up 2-1. to one. Uh, yeah. All right, Marc-Andre Fleury's making the saves. Kaprizov is scoring. That's always good fortunes for the Minnesota Wild. And then it seems, you know, much like he scored the opening goal against Winnipeg a couple of nights previous, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois went to work, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. He and Fiala were really, really good last night. They had a really good performance from a lot of those guys from – you know, pretty much screwed Dowdy on uh, on the back end. And then, you know, I thought Trevor Moore was great. Kopitar was Kopitar. 
Um, but that top line was really good. Now, there was some controversy at the end of the period. Um, you know, Mark did not perform well. Uh, you know, the, I give him – the first goal was a bad goal. The second goal, I give him a pass, broken play. Puck just winds up in traffic, and, and Gavrikov – I think it was Gavrikov found it. And then the last two goals just cannot happen. Um, now, uh, was there controversy on the third goal? Absolutely. I still do not see an angle where that puck hit uh, Dubois' stick. Uh, that puck was on edge, and uh, the Wild claimed that it didn't. Uh, I still have not seen a replay where it does. It looks to me – like completely miss, and which means that he uh, kicked the puck in the net. But it's got to be stopped. I mean, that was a soft goal. And yeah. then I think that Mark Andre, as he sometimes does, was frustrated by the goal, by him not getting the call. And then he turned the puck over and immediately gave up another bad goal. So two goals in a 14-second span uh, by the same player in the final minute of the period. And it just felt like the Wild who have a lot of guys out of their lineup, did not have, what for whatever reason, the ability to catch it last night, and they let it frustrate them. And from the second and third period on, I mean, the Wild just were a flat team and did not deserve to win that game. Uh, Mark had to make some really good saves there to keep them in the game, and the, but the Wild just offensively couldn't get it done. They, a lot of a lot of just uh, misplays, but their forwards weren't very good. Um, you know, it's, it's Middleton wasn't very good. It was just a lot of bad stuff that happened last night. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that they've got to figure this out here. They are a team that has, yes, some injuries, but um, they've got to figure out a way to get on a roll. And right now we've seen a real uneven ga- uh, game from them for the first four games of the season. Like the, it, it looks from the outside looking in, like if you just look at the central, like there are, there are two teams, Colorado and Dallas. Yeah. And, and after that, it's, it's, it's jump ball. If this, and I got about 90 seconds here for this one, if Minnesota yep. is going to be successful and grab that third spot, and I know Minnesota's used to grabbing that third spot or being in that conversation, mm-hmm. but if, if if that's gonna if that's gonna happen for Minnesota this season, what has to happen? Like essentially, what I'm saying is this will be a successful season for the Minnesota Wild if blank, according to Mike Russo. Yeah, I mean, the one big thing is they need Boldy back in the lineup. And I think if that they can get offense from their first two lines, their third and fourth lines are as good as it gets in the league, especially if Rossi and Felino and Goudreau are going to play as well as they have mm-hmm. in the first four games of the season. Rossi's been tremendous. The fourth line's been really good. But this Boldy injury is just huge for a team that doesn't have a lot of depth scoring. And and um, and then you look at their back end, and they're extremely thin. They're go- they essentially, when they had Goligoski in the lineup, were throw- going with three guys that were – consistent, healthy scratches down the stretch last season. And now they're playing Dakota Mermis, yeah. who was their best defenseman last night. So, so that's not a good sign. And so, um, but Boldy right now, like you bring up Sammy Walker yesterday, it's a chance for him to really make an impression. And he just was totally invisible. Yeah. And now today at practice, according to Joe's tweets, uh, he's on the fourth line. So, um, you know, they really, luckily what I'm hearing with his upper body injury with Boldy is it's not as bad as, as Spurgeon's injury, very similar, mm-hmm. uh, was. So I think that we'll see Boldy back in a, in a week or two, but, but, uh, man, do they need him back in the lineup? He is on team. Keep the draft the way it is. Uh, the great Mike Russo yeah. from the athletic. Uh, I'm with you. I'm on that yeah, train tell, too. Tell Elliot to quiet this stuff down. He's making all this noise. <laughs> I think it's going to He's so influential. He's gotten it's, 32 GMs that want to change it. It's so funny because I was having a conversation with, uh, with, uh, with, with someone today about the idea of doing an in-season tournament as well. And this person said to me, you know, th- this is only a, a story with you guys. Like, no one here talks about, like, uh, you guys just make this up. You idiots in the media just make this stuff up because the NBA has it. So we have to have the shiny toys. This is not a story for us. This is your own little story here. So I know uh, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, excellent stuff as always. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah. See you, Jeff. Take care. There he is, the great Mike Russo from The Athletic covering the Minnesota Wild Tough one last night, losing to the Los Angeles Kings. Although, man, Los Angeles, when they're firing, man, they can look really, really good. And Trevor Moore, again, looks great for uh, for Los Angeles right now. Okay, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, George Peros. I mean, Matt Marchese. Sorry, how many times have you heard that George Peros? Lots. Okay. Well, I'll, somebody somebody I'll st- pointed I'll stop, out that man, I'll stop. I don't care. Again, trying to make me look tough, I'll, I'll take it. See, you look tough. I was not tough, don't That's worry. All. All right, what you got your eyeballs on for hockey night this week? Uh, Leafs at Lightning. The obvious, they, yeah. you know, every the thing that keeps coming up is how the Leafs eliminated the Lightning. That's what everybody's talking about. 
and they remind Tampa Bay of it all the time. Yep. Uh, puck line is expected to be Leafs minus one and a half as they are the favorite. Uh, the over is 10 and one in the last 11 meetings in Tampa and Jonas Johansson is starting mm-hmm. bet accordingly. Uh, Toronto is four and oh in the last four games in Tampa and four and one in the last five meetings overall. A couple of things. They looked really out of sorts yesterday. Sure did. Um, whether it's Klingberg, I know that uh, Max Domi is having a tough time adjusting to this team, the system, this coach, all of it. Well, I mean, he plays that little minutes yeah. right now. And that is a problem too. Um, but I am really fascinated with the um, with the Tampa Bay Lightning goaltending situation, <laughs> and I can I mean I can see a couple of things. One, I can see Julian Brisebois active in the goalie market. I want to get there in a couple of seconds, but also I can see him being really stubborn and really digging his heels in. You know how general managers like I mean Glenn Sather was always the king of the uh, the reclamation project. I mm-hmm. mean there is a certain arrogance that I think you have to have if you're a GM yep. of any sport. The If we just get this player into our system and our environment and our culture, we can bring out the best in that player. I can see them going that direction with Jonas Johansson just digging in their heels and saying, that's our guy. Even when I saw that guy. they signed Jonas Johansson, I went, mm, that's your backup goalie? Mm, well, okay. Not me, great. I know they don't have much to choose from. I get it. Let me throw one out here because I got a text from someone who noticed this right away in Buffalo uh, at the uh, the Buffalo-Tampa game on Tuesday. Like Craig Conroy, Don Maloney, and David Nonis were all there. Now, Calgary's in town because on Thursday night, as we all know, and watched last night, they're playing the Buffalo Sabres. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense for them to be there. But... Well, it gets you salivating about the thoughts about a Vladar trade. Not Dustin Wolf? <laughs> I don't think we're trading Dustin Wolf. <laughs> Dan Vladar makes a lot of sense there. A lot we of sense. We shall see, but I can also see Breezebois saying, uh-uh. he's not, our guy. Not paying that price. I'm proving it to you. That was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bets Local. Random hockey fact of the day. Mike Rupp, Sean Reynolds, Hour 2 on the horizon. Keep it here. Sportsnet Radio Network. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Time now for Jeff Merrick's Random Hockey Fact of the Day. What do you think of that, Maddie? So you. Like honestly, so that, when I when I heard it, I was just like, "Big and dumb." That's Jeff. Big and dumb. Big and dumb. That's what I'm going for. But you know what? It, I'm trying to think of what it reminds me of. It reminds me of, and I've told you about this before. There's a video game that they made that basically resembled Slapshot, and that's what this reminds me of. Which is perfect because this is just get stuff out of my head to make room for important things that I need to actually have a life. Like more random hockey facts. Uh, maybe. Like maybe you should change the name on your bottle. Because that's apparently not yours. <laughs> oh, I grabbed my son's. Look at that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Teach. It's got the st- smiley face stickers on it. Didn't even notice. I mean, it does look like one of your boys, considering how banged up it is. Like, I'm sure that thing's fallen on the Smashed. floor a couple times. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fallen a few times. You got to get one of these big bad boys that I've dropped, as you can see. <laughs> big dent on it. <laughs> Where'd you drop that? Oh, outside. Was, like, it goes in my bag, and it's too heavy, and, I'll, you know, it fell out. And- First world football host problems. Yeah. Okay. Random hockey fact of the day. You're going to like this one. I hope so. I was having a conversation yesterday uh, with an agent out west, and the name Darcy Hortichuk came up. Okay. I've been thinking about Darcy Hortichuk. Big Now, we're talking about Darcy Hortichuk because apparently his son, who plays for the Junior Coyotes, okay. is, um, is quite a player. Now, Darcy, we saw as an ambassador, was an ambassador for the Arizona Coyotes in Melbourne. Um, Dustin Brown was the ambassador for the Los Angeles Kings before the Arizona Los Angeles Exhibition Games in Melbourne. Great stuff. And we think of Darcy Hortichuk, we think of tough hockey players, and you might think of the fights against Mel Engelstad, which are must, as you're not, you've seen those, right? Like those are. Yeah, Mel, Mel Engelstad was a very, very tough customer. <laughs> mangler, the mangler. I think he's a fireman in northern Manitoba named Thompson. How, okay, hold on a second. How do you know? Like I said, I think that's the last the well, last bit of information I had about Mel Engelstad was the fact that you fireman. even knew that he was that at one point is incredible mm, to me. Mel Engelstad, the mangler. Okay, let's we'll see. do a random fact on him one of these days. Anyway, so here's the thing about oh, and by the way, 
Darcy Hordachuk trained with Chuck Liddell. UFC yeah, like yeah, heavyweight would, champion. That would be probably a good idea, I think, if you're a fighter. Darcy Hordachuk was tough. But not only was he tough, Darcy Hordachuk had, for a tough hockey player, had, to my knowledge, the only perfect season anyone in that role. And we know it wasn't goal scoring. Here's how Darcy Hordachuk had a perfect season for his role on the then- Nashville Predators team that he played for. Played okay. for a number of teams in the NHL. In 207-208, Darcy Hordachuk played 40 games with Nashville. Nashville has always loved sluggers on their team from day one. Stu Grimson? Nashville. Oh, keep going. Go, go right down the list. There were so many sluggers on that Nashville Well, that team. was really the f- first one. Yeah, he would have been the first one. In no, I don't no? think so. Go back to Nashville's first season. I'm going to look up all-time penalty. Do that. Let, me, let me do my Hordachuk. Do, do your thing. So here's Hordachuk. 207-208. Oh, Jim McKenzie was one of those guys, yes. too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to touch him. Anyway, 207-208. Darcy Hordachuk has the perfect tough guy season. In 40 games, he has 60 penalty minutes and 12 fights. Well, if we do the math, uh, 60 divided by 12 is 5. So he always took every, somebody to the box and never went on his own. Every <laughs> penalty minute was a fight. There was not one. He did not put his team shorthanded once all Pretty season good. long. Darcy Hordachuk. It's one of my favorite random facts of the day. Courtesy of Darcy Hordachuk. Very well done. Uh, Patrick Cote was the first. That was it. Patrick Cote. Would have been I one. remember uh, Pete Weber telling me about the exploits of Patrick Cote. Danny Lambert was tough. Mm. They always had sluggers, man. Yeah, they, they really always did. They always wanted to have tough guys. Yeah, they really sometimes Wade, two or three Wade, on the Wade roster. Wade of course. Yep. Yeah, that's. I mean, we are so far gone from that era, but which, I mean, it's not that long ago. But Feels like five minutes feel, ago, but it's not. It's not, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, we, you know, the Ryan Reeves thing, and whatever. By There's the way, a that, handful. There's that a line, handful. that line hasn't been very good, unsurprisingly. No, but the lines off the ice have been really good. <laughs> that's, very, that's very true. As expected. What, what do you yeah. think? I mean, I, we didn't really plan to go here, but what do you think the value is of having guys in the room that maybe take pressure off of some other guys? Is there a value to that, do you think? So, uh, so I, when I look at it, it's, it's funny, too, because sports is like, okay, my head knows this, but my heart feels this, and there's a sort of conflict between yes. the two. And so I always, you know, where, whenever you hear things like, oh, he's a good guy in the room, my head always goes, yeah, but they don't flood the room. Yes. They don't flood the dressing room. I want the guys that go can go out there like where Play they on that where, frozen where sheet. they do the floods. Like yeah. I want that guy to be able to perform. But in a lot of ways, I tend to usually defer to the players on this one. Yeah, they know. Like the the I haven't learned, I haven't learned much in my life about hockey. But I can be sure about one thing. I can only be sure about what I think, I think I've only learned one thing that about you haven't hockey. played. Well, I know that too, but. The one thing that I've learned about hockey that I can tell you with 100% certainty is you cannot, Elliot and I talk about this all the time, you cannot lie to players. No, 100%. Players know who belongs in every and who sport. doesn't belong. And I always, I always catch myself when I say things like those players are irrelevant or those players are useless and they have no value in the game right now, yet player after player after player after player after player, I'll talk about, you know, the comfort of having a security blanket. Mm-hmm or a deterrent on the bench, or just available to them. And whether it's Tom Wilson or, you know, you look what Tanner Janot did yesterday to Mark Friedman. Yeah, the wrong guy to tangle with. What I are mean, you thinking? <laughs> he's a farm boy. Like, come on. You know, like, there's there's a lot of, there's, for these, for the players, there's a lot of value to having them around. And I always sort of come up shy about, telling players that they're wrong about it because they play. They know. And they're the ones that are on the ice. And and that's why I see so much about, oh, fights don't matter. There are a lot of fights that don't matter, but there are a lot of fights that do matter. Well, they don't matter in the sense that I don't believe that it really changes the outcome of games. No, but I do think it changes the, I do think it changes the immediate, like, you know, we talk about, getting guys going or what like i feel like th- that it does something and players have said that like if you don't get fired up after your buddy goes out and beats the crap out of somebody on the ice well i'm sorry um i don't know i don't know what feelings you need to have but i do feel like it does 
I don't think it, how about this? I don't think it does nothing. How about that? Yeah, but I don't know. Like part of me then returns to that and says, if you need a fight to get fired up, what are you doing here? Oh, I don't disagree. I, but we all, they, every athlete, no athlete has the, per, I mean, aside from Darcy Hornichuk, the perfect season, but no, no athlete has <laughs> the perfect season. Who was it? Was it Jerome McGinley that basically said like, there's 50 games where you're going to get like the best player. I think it was Jerome McGinley. He said like 50 games, you're going to get the best out of me, mm-hmm. but there's going to be, you know, 12 games where I'm not going to have that. And there's going to be 10 games where I'm, you know, certainly not myself. Like in those moments, those 12 game stretches or 10 games or over the course of a season, maybe that's when it matters. It, it doesn't happen in the moment, but maybe yeah. that's when it matters for those guys because they're in a slump, they're in whatever. Sometimes I think that the value of it, I've thought a lot about this, like my whole life. And the best I can come up with maybe is, it provides a release valve. Yeah, that's so you fair. Can get back to playing hockey. Like there's a certain tension that every that that a lot of fiery hockey games can bring with them, and sometimes all that a fight will do is it just it's just a release valve so you can get back to playing hockey. Yeah, I think that's fair. Does it? By the way, does it not feel like there was a lot more fights at the beginning of this year? Like, yeah, but I, 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 it feels just, that it feels just that getting way too. it out of the way early. It, it feels that way, but again, like I haven't looked back and and figured out whether it's different than any other. Season. I am trying to. Find you know, like we always say, oh, there's no fighting in the playoffs. Well, yeah, there is fighting in the playoffs. There is. It's just not very often. But I feel like this year, I felt yeah. like every almost every game had a fight early on. I don't know if it's guys are really ornery or whatever early. No, in you the know season. what it is. And, you know what it is. No one eases into a season anymore. You don't have yeah. the ability to get to, to eat. Remember before, and this is true with, with, with veteran teams. Oh, they're a little bit older. They're gonna, Elliot and I were talking about this the other day with the Washington Capitals because they've struggled out of the gate. And my point was and always has been older teams take longer to get going. Mm-hmm. You're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, sure you're a do. Washington Capitals fan. You know what I'm talking and about. And if you didn't know about it, you're finding out now. <laughs> but, but what this does underscore, I think, is that the pressure to get points starts opening night now yeah it's well because everybody says you know if you you know what your team is by american thanksgiving because that that number is it's pretty eye-popping like if you're not in the playoffs or w- not within the w- if you're not within six points or something at that moment like, like the Elliot, percentage Elliot of you does the in, november 1st if you're not within four points so it's four okay it's like 15 percent chance of making that's, the playoffs and that's why it's become so important because how many teams really that get off to a really slow start end up making the playoffs it's not it's a not a long list it's rare but everyone points to the st louis blues yeah of course says, yeah, oh they won the stanley cup yeah great that's happened <laughs> once in a hundred years thank you appreciate that they were out of it they were they were almost ready to sell the farm and then they went on a win streak and off you go well, they're about to wave jerry bowman's here they're about to send patrick maroon down to the american hockey league and if patrick maroon at that point went down to the american hockey league guess what He's never coming back. Probably not. Yeah, and now Instead, he's at, got three rings. Yeah, they can't. They he can't hear because <laughs> they're in both of his ears and his nose. Um, but yes, I, and and that's why, like, even Florida last year. Look at Florida before, like, they, that tirade that Paul Maurice threw playing the Leafs. They yeah. end up going on that run. They make the playoffs, and then, but they they were okay coming out of the gate. They certainly weren't the President's Trophy winning team yeah. that we saw. It just doesn't happen. All that often. So I understand the importance of it. Uh, a couple of things here. Um, Notes-wise, uh, Zach Benson, Devin Levi, both listed day-to-day lower body injuries. So they're going to play Devin Levi on one leg or are they going to let somebody else get no, shot? No, I think that, I think this might be <laughs> might be the only way they can get, uh, they can here, get we'll Devin, give you a break. Devin Levi out of the crease. Oh, so, okay. So let's, let's talk about the three goalie thing. Because... It doesn't work. Everyone says, everyone it does, says oh, it we doesn't. can make it work. No, it, you can't. Never. But no. I don't think that any GM wants to be to do that. Like when I, so um, the day that I, that I filled in for you, when Kevin Adams was on, I asked him about the three goalie thing. And he's like, that's, he's like, that's certainly, he goes, I can't speak to anybody else around the league, but that's not our preference. Which means. No, it's no one's preference. It's, which means. It's no one's preference. Somebody have a goalie get hurt or somebody struggle so I can trade one of these guys. Cause I don't want to lose them for free. Well, what what it is, I mean, first of all, it's really unfair usually to one goaltender, right? It's 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 like and, and there's what, always one guy that never gets a start, never gets a start. <laughs> I mean, you're just sort of waiting for injuries. Um, and I know some people. I, I've heard this. 
I remember um, Scott and Gord talking about this on, on NHL Network Radio, Scott Lachlan, uh, Lachlan and, and Gord Stelic, talking about the idea of maybe creating a situation where you have, uh, you have an NHL rule whereby you are allowed to carry three goaltenders and they're, maybe they're not, um, uh, you don't have to place them on waivers. They can, with this one goaltender, they can just go up and down regardless. I and mean, there's no way the PA is going to go for that. Um, but should you create an exception? For your goaltenders. Or you have... I don't like it. Or you have, you know, one goalie that's designated that you have so many call-ups that they are waiver... Like, kind of like baseball, Mm -hmm. where they are waiver-exempt for so many call-ups. Let's say three. Yeah. Right? And then you can kind of take advantage of that. But the only caveat would be, for that guy, they have to get paid the same NHL salary. That's the only thing that the PA would agree to. Yeah. The thing thing about the goal... Like, I've seen... Remember, to, well, of course you remember, taxi squads. Mm-hmm. That wrecked goaltenders. Oh, yeah. I, I think of Michael DiPietro with Vancouver specifically. It's a year of development for a lot of young guys. And it's a young guy. Now, on the one hand, he's practicing with the big team and all that sure. and drawing the NHL paycheck, but... But you're not long, playing. Long term, how much does that hurt the career? Well, what what do we always say? You can't... You, the only way you can recreate game situations is by playing in a game. Yeah. So that's... Especially for goalies. Like, players, I find, is a little bit different because, I mean, yes, the game happens so fast for skaters, but it also, for goalies, like, there's so many different things that go on. And that's why if you're not playing enough, you're not get, you're not sharp, Yeah, I don't see how that benefits you. I, I mean, there, it's been kind of proven that it doesn't benefit you. Look at Carolina. Kachetkov is everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. Listen, if it's Carolina by the end, do you doubt for one second that Kachetkov's going to be the guy? No. Because, well, first of all, the other two guys are going to get hurt. You know, I don't wish that <laughs> I don't wish that upon anybody, but the proof is in the pudding. Those guys can't stay healthy. Yeah, I know. It's a hospital bracelet issue. I get it. We all understand it. Um, elsewhere around the NHL, Vegas is an absolute force. Yep. Colorado is an absolute force. Meanwhile, you look into the Eastern Conference, and we see Ottawa and Detroit in the Atlantic mm-hmm. and Czech's notes. Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, that's a weird one. I love it. it I have, the rebuild is over. Next phase. Yeah. Move on. The, the it, rebuild is done in Philadelphia. Quickest rebuild we've ever seen. See, the thing, this, I feel like this always happens every year. Just like with the scores, like we talked about the other day with Brady Shea, where there's always one guy that really doesn't fit in that conversation. <laughs> there's always one or two teams that you look at and go, wow, look at that start. And then by November, you're like, ah, yes, that's where they're supposed that's to be. That's where we kind of figure it's yes. going to head with Philadelphia anyway. But we shall see. Let's bring uh, Mike Rupp into the conversation about this one. Uh, Rupper, uh, is this Philadelphia Flyers rebuild over now? Is it over now? Is it um, over? It's, they... in, it's in another phase. <laughs> How about that? It's in phase, whatever phase you want to call this. Let's call it phase three. It's in phase three. I don't know how many phases there are. Yeah. They're moving along, and I like what I'm seeing so far. Uh, listen, it's it's tough not to cheer for people like Sean Couturier. And Sean Couturier, that line did such a great job on Connor McDavid's line last night. It's like all of a sudden, you know, Bergeron retires. The Selkie field is open. Sean Couturier comes back, and he's going to make Masterton noise, and he's probably going to make Selkie noise, and I just love seeing it and Joel Farabee, you know, the, the season last year after the ADR surgery, um, it looks like he's back, Cam Atkinson, Carter Hartz. Like right now, you know that John Tortorella is going to squeeze every drop out of this towel. And at the same time, you know, Morgan Frost is scratched two games in a row. Like this doesn't seem like this is a team that knows that it's rebuilding. This is a team that just knows that we have a coach that expects points and expects effort, and that's where we're at. I know I say tongue-in-cheek, the Flyers' rebuild is over, but, Rupper, you know, you played, and you know teams like this, you know the the players involved. Where are you at on the Philadelphia Flyers right now? It's kind of remarkable. Well, the first thing with, with Torts, too, if you look at his history when he's gone to a new place, it takes a little bit of time because this is a guy that comes in, and to be blunt, he gets rid of what – is not a part of what he feels is necessary or, or kind of gets yeah. rid of individuals, gets rid of, uh, strips it. I mean, it's stripped down. Like, that's how he does it, right? Mm-hmm. And he builds it back up in the in the way that he wants it to be, to, to be. And generally, when you're talking, it takes a couple years of John Tortorella for it to start kind of being a little bit, of, I don't want to say a well-oiled machine, but the expectations every night of competing, it's there. 
I mean, you look to Columbus for a number of those uh, years, like when he went in there, Columbus was a difficult, hard team to play against. And it wasn't until that, that team that obviously upset and, and swept uh, Tampa in, in 2019 that it was kind of like they had some talent and, and pieces that maybe could do a little more noise. But it, that, that's what I'm expecting here. It's like they're going to work. And now they've got a little bit of health back, and that's been a big thing for this squad too. We haven't really known how much talent they've had on their roster because it hasn't been in the lineup because of injuries. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is uh, kind of what you expect from his track record. But I think that the Sean Couturier story, uh, it's incredible. I, I love when guys, yeah. you could go him, you can go Josh Norris. Um, I mean, let's stick with, with Coots here. Like, we didn't know if he's going to play hockey again. Yep. You know what I mean? And I and I hate that. I hate hearing things like that when a, a player was so good and, and, and really at the, at the peak of things. Couturier was in that conversation for Selkie and Always. provides offense. He's a leader on that team. So I'm glad to see him back and, and contributing in a big way. Yeah, you mentioned Josh Norris as well. And, you know, the, the most anticipated game, I think, this weekend is the first game tomorrow afternoon, and that's the Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, great seeing Josh Norris come back. Uh, two goals for the Ottawa Senators. Ottawa's filling the net. They're facing off against Detroit tomorrow. Detroit's is filling the net. Alex DeBrinket has been, you know, that that combination of DeBrinket and Larkin have been hand to glove. Uh, so it's two teams that we thought, along with the Buffalo Sabres, would be competing for that next team or teams uh, to get themselves into a playoff picture. Do you have a thought on Detroit and Ottawa heading into Saturday afternoon? Both have been impressive. Uh, both are feeling that they have pretty much identical records here. They do, um, you know, by the by the three and one, and you know the uh, the goal differential is only one puck away from one another. Uh, do you have a thought of what we're seeing from Detroit and what we're seeing from Ottawa? Yeah, so I think that this um, these two teams are really interesting. So I think they're second, third, or right around second, third, or third and fourth in the NHL for for goals uh, per game. And um, I, again short sample size, but they are putting the puck in the net. Both teams are. Yeah. Um, I, I think we probably saw it from Ottawa more than maybe we would think that that Detroit would fill the net, but they both are. And uh, it's interesting to this point because I'm actually a little more bullish on, on the Sens, mm-hmm. but I love what Detroit's doing right now. And Detroit has – they. I would say Detroit's forwards, they have more specialty players where if they're putting the puck in the net, I know that they've got their guys where, hey, go out there and defend this lead. They they haven't necessarily put together, but now when you're talking with Comfer and Cop and like yeah. these guys, like that's what they do. That's what they do. I don't know if necessarily Ottawa has those, but with Josh Norris back, they got a top six that can compete with anybody. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you're seeing, um, you're seeing uh, on the decor Thomas Shabbat's minutes are back a little bit for the first time in a while. You have. Jacob Chikorin's looking good. I mean, Sanderson is oh. their best defenseman. He's so good. Now all of a sudden, like he's really starting to get some offense going, right? So uh, the, the, I love this matchup. I, I will say this, Jeff. I hate to say this, actually. I only think one of those two make the playoffs. And uh, actually, I'll say one of the three. I'll put Buffalo in there, too. Mm-hmm. I think only one of them makes it. So these games matter. This is a huge matchup for the Sens and, and, the, and the Red Wings. Um, speaking of the Buffalo Sabres, like those are the three teams that I think everyone's isolated here and okay, ready to take the next step. Montreal is going to be there eventually. They're not there yet. Um, Buffalo's had a tough go, and now uh, Levi is day to day. Zach Benson is is day to day as well. So maybe well, one we'll see a, a finally a different goaltender uh, in net for the Buffalo Sabres. Um, but much like, and we see this with New Jersey this year. You know, skating with the weight of expectation is different than sneaking up on teams and having a surprisingly good season, quote, out of nowhere. Um, what's happening with the Buffalo Sabres right now? And, you know, the other point, I was making this in the in the first hour with Elliot, you know, one of the hardest things to do, because, listen, there's not really a historical track record of it happening, is college goaltenders stepping into a number one job in the NHL. It's got to be one of the hardest things to do. It never happens, and that's what's being expected of Devin Levi. Too much? Your thoughts? That's a, that's a great point because I know a lot of times we speak on college players coming in and just getting used to the, the grueling schedule of an NHL schedule. 82 games as opposed to 
Yeah. Uh, what are, what's the number? 30, 30 to 40 that you're talking in college or, or wherever that number is at. Um, it's a significant difference. The travel, uh, the, it, the demands it puts on your body. And I, I think that the college players, as far as the skaters, have handled it very well. Uh, every once in a while you'll see one where you can be like, oh, man, that guy seems like he's run out a little bit of gas. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I think the skaters and the way they train and the way they – I don't think that's really an issue anymore. But I think it's different for goalies. Like, it's a different – it's a different animal for a goaltender to go in there and be able to um, – it's kind of catch-22 because if you're going to sit there and be like, all right, well, this this college goaltender isn't used to having 50 starts, so we'll, we'll get a good little, um, you know, tandem going. And, and But they're all, but they're used to playing every game in college, right? Like, they're used to yeah. playing pretty much all the time. So it's good. Like, you're going to take them out of the rhythm that way, but then also they they can get worn because it's a demanding position. So that's something, I, yeah, you don't really see the college goalies kind of coming in and no. and uh, I think being able to light it up right away. And um, this Buffalo this Buffalo team's got to do a better job in, no matter who's in that. If it's UPL, if it's, if it's him, if it's, you know, I know uh, what Comrie's banged up, but if whoever's in that, they got to play better positionally in front. You mentioned New Jersey, and I agree, expectations are, are big and, yeah. uh, and and they're hard to live up to. But New Jersey defended very well as a five-man unit last year, mm-hmm. and they helped their goaltenders out. And then all of a sudden, their goaltenders weren't a problem anymore. I think Buffalo's got some good goaltending in there. They can score with anybody, but if they, they, they've got to buckle down and give themselves a chance defensively as a team and give their goalies a chance, quite frankly. Uh, off the Buffalo Sabres page, um, onto the undefeated page, both the Colorado Avalanche, who really mugged Chicago last night. Like, Chicago's at the end of a road trip, and it's into Denver, and you know what it's like. You've played there. You're coming in with your one shot, and Colorado drags you into deep water, and you're struggling for breath over playing with altitude here. This is This is really tough. And Colorado was just all over Chicago from the opening puck drop. I think the score itself was was kind of kind, to be honest with you, to the Chicago Blackhawks last night. Meanwhile, Vegas is just ripping into teams like a hog into truffles. No hangover. I don't know what the remedy is. You know, coconut water before you go to bed, whatever it is, they wake up with no hangover at all this season, Mike Rupp. Undefeated. They are two trains in the West. Your thoughts on Colorado and Vegas? Does it kind of feel like, it does for me at least, but I don't know for you, if it feels like now what we're kind of seeing, I don't even think Colorado's necessarily had their best yet. Like, I think Vegas is Hmm. dominating more right now in their games than maybe Colorado has in theirs, although I was watching that Chicago game last night and I was very one-sided to say the least. But, But again, to give Chicago credit, like they've been on a five-game road trip, uh, (laughs) 10 days. Like, let's get – like, come on, man. Like, let's get some normalcy in the NHL schedule. But uh, but anyways, um, I feel like this Colorado team is back. And with their back – and, again, these are all really early evaluations of teams. I still think Edmonton's going to find their way and be an elite team in that conference. But from what I'm seeing right now – I'm seeing like almost a pissed off Vegas team that we saw in the playoffs in games one, two, three, and four, five. What you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're they're that team right now. And if there's ever a team, or is there if there is a team that maybe you can let off the gas a little bit, you'd guess would be them, mm-hmm. right? Like I would expect them to have a slow start, but they look just as good right now as they did in the playoffs, and uh, that's really impressive to me. But Colorado, I think, is that team that uh, the injuries killed them last year. Yeah. Um, I think they're back. I think they're back, and these two teams I would put significantly in front of the Edmontons, the Dallas. Like, it's those two and the rest of the West for me. Yeah. And I didn't see that happening so so quickly for the season to start. You know, the, the, the freak thing for me about Vegas, one, the obvious, you know, they played a lot of hockey, and normally we see a little, you know, softening, at least to start of the season uh, from the from the Stanley Cup champions. But two... You know, Glenn Sather, um, then general manager of the Edmonton Oilers during their successful run, would always talk about, and other GMs have mentioned this as well too, in order to keep things fresh, uh, Sather would always say, you need to change the team by about 10 to 15% every year just to get new blood, new faces, new chases, hungry players in the room on this juggernaut Oilers squad. I know Riley Smith is in Pittsburgh now. 
But this Vegas team is almost 100% identical to the one that we just saw lifting the Stanley Cup about five minutes ago, Mike. Like, there are, there's not a lot of new faces in here at all. They took, essentially, Riley Smith and said, okay, we don't have room for you and your salary, and gave the money to Ivan Barbashev, who's such a great trade deadline acquisition from them from St. Louis. This is the exact same team. I'm, I mean, it's it's the story of, you know, the, the Rocky movies, right? It's harder to stay on top than to get on top. You know, the stay hungry, all of it. Eye of the tiger. We all went through it. Like, it is so hard to do. Like, you play. Like, can you describe how tough that is? Once you've gotten to the top, how hard it is to stay there and harder than getting there. Well, I mean, yeah, you always hear the cliches that there's a target on your back, all those things. I mean, it's true. I mean, that's how everyone's going to measure themselves, and that's how you're going to make a statement. I mean, you break down players individually and, and what's going on in their minds. You might have some players trying to stick and show that they could play in the league. Maybe yeah. they get a, they want to play higher in the lineup. And, man, no better place to, to make that statement than against the Cup champs. So you're getting everyone's best. Uh, but this team's different. And they – I don't know what exactly it is, but I keep coming back in my mind to the leaders on that team. And I'll go to the captain. I'll go to Mark Stone. When you've got a guy that competes like he does, and it's not, it doesn't take, you know, I think Mark Stone would be the first one to tell you, not the greatest of skaters. He nope. gets from A to B, though. He, he's, I, his, shot is, his shot is accurate. I don't know how overpowering it is. You know what I mean? But his anticipation, his brain, his compete level, the energy he brings, and you can go throughout that lineup. It doesn't stop there. Mm-hmm. And you got Petro on the back end. I mean, when your leaders do all of that, I just think that there's your team is going to be built differently. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I was fortunate enough to have Scotty Stevens and, you know, Scott Niedermeyer. Those are, you know, captain and assistant captain. It's like, I don't know. When, when Scotty's playing the game hard and practicing hard every day, it raises the bar. And I've been on other teams where captains and assistant captains maybe have their chin strap undone for practice. You know what I mean? And that might sound like the dumbest thing in the world. Who cares? It's sending a vibe that today's different. And when you have guys that treat every day the same as a game day, it just starts rolling. Everything's natural. I think the leadership and the way that team's built and what they've instituted there from day one, even before Mark Stone, has set this up. And this team is a well-oiled machine right now. Stone and the other guy I want to throw into that conversation too is Alex Petrangelo. Like, yeah, hundred like, percent. Like you, I, you, you can you can never have. Uh, we've talked about this before. En- enough guys like that. Let, let me close on, on one final thought. I mean, you all know that you know on the horizon there are you know contracts that Kelly McCrimmon has to has to uh, has to take care of here, whether it's Jonathan Marchessault so, or this next player that I do want to mention. It, it's going to go down as one of George McPhee's greatest trades ever. And at the time, it was a very quiet one. Much like, you know, Kelly McCrimmon when he you know made the Ivan Barbashev deal. And man, did that ever pay off in spades for the Vegas Golden Knights. Do you have a thought on Chandler Stevenson? Now, I know we don't talk a lot about Chandler Stevenson. We'll talk about Petrangelo and Stone and Eichel, etc. Do you have a thought on Chandler Stevenson from a player's point of view? So it's funny you mention him because uh, sometimes I get messed up in my chronological order, but I, I'm pretty sure on this one it was 20. Uh, caps were the caps were 2018 cup cup champs, right? So okay, it's 2018 cup finals, and Chandler Stevenson was in Washington. Yep, and he was like in and out of the lineup. Yep, and I went and I watched them practice, and then he got in. And again, this my, my memory might be jogged a little bit, but I remember seeing him get in the game, and I'm like, "This kid brings it, man! Like he's got speed, he's got some tenacity. I like his spunk, everything about him." And then, you know, he just kind of was on the outside looking in, and and, and Washington had uh, other guys that were kind of getting more of the opportunity, and it happens, right? And just like the whole entire build of the Vegas Golden Knights, guys got more of an opportunity in Vegas. But to locate that, see that, and for them to go and get him, and him to come in there, and that, that was the biggest knock for that franchise before they got Jack Eichel. Yeah. Well, you, got, you don't have a big center ice. You don't have a strong center ice. You know, Chandler Stevenson's played himself. He was an all-star last year, I think. Uh, you know, you go get Jack Eichel. I mean, I love what Chandler Stevenson has done because he's fought 
and he's worked for every little thing he's gotten. And, um, yeah, I mean, that that's it. Locating, and that's the thing I love. Vegas Golden Knights don't look at what do we what do we lack. They look at what are we good at, and they keep leaning into that, that same type of player with that competitive nature. And uh, throughout that lineup, there's a lot of Chandler Stevenson-type players, and uh, his is a great story from where he came from, where he's at now. And the team works hard. Um, listen, Rupper, always good, my man. Uh, you be well. Continue success on NHL Network, and we will continue to check in regularly. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. The great Mike Rupp uh, from NHL Network, um, one of our favorites around these parts with his uh, thumb on the pulse very much of every team uh, around the National Hockey League. One of the teams that we have eyeballs on, both what's happening on the ice and also what's happening at the turnstiles with the attendance, or maybe lack thereof, the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Sean Reynolds is going to stop by. Sean, long time covering the uh, the Winnipeg Jets. He'll stop by to fill us in on what's happening on the ice and what's happening in the stands. And 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 what do we do with these numbers? 11-226, uh, 11-5 last night against the Vegas Golden Knights defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, what gives in Winnipeg? We're heading to Manitoba in moments with Sean Reynolds. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Talking Jets in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so what's going on in Winnipeg? Most specifically, what's going on in the stands in Winnipeg? On the ice is one thing. Hellebuck is one thing. Shifley is one thing. Those contracts, the future of the Winnipeg Jets as well, prospects on the horizon. But the story that's dominating the headlines around the Winnipeg Jets is, where did everybody go? So we'll bring in Sean Reynolds, uh, our good friend covering the Winnipeg Jets uh, on television, on sportsnet.ca as well. So I'll, I'll open up with the question that everybody's asking, Sean. Where did the fans go? And what happened here? We're seeing numbers against the Los Angeles Kings, just over 11,000. Uh, ditto against the, the Vegas Golden Knights last night, defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, I've heard a lot of theories. I had one person uh, text me after the game against Los Angeles saying, you know, part of the issue here is crime around the building and Winnipeggers don't want to go uh, downtown at all. From as best you can glean, what's happening here? Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't buy the crime downtown Thing. That's, I mean, fans have been jam packing that building since 2011 until recently. And I yeah. mean, I've lived in this city. I'm from this city. Um, I've worked downtown in this city for a long time. I'm not saying that it's a picture perfect downtown by no means is it, but uh, I don't see it that much worse than it's been. I finished up at the arena last night after our podcast and at midnight walked through the downtown to go get to my vehicle. Like I do every time I leave the arena. So I, I think that that's a little bit of a, I mean, that's a little bit of a, a low blow. If you ask me that, I don't see that as being the issue. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's not a simple answer, Jeff. There's a lot going on here with this situation. Uh, I think that I was seeing signs of there starting to be a tail off before the pandemic hit. So then I think the pandemic kind of hid some of the issues that were happening there. And so now you come out of the pandemic and I think the excitement of getting back into the stands Hmm. hid the issues to a degree. And then you're kind of landing on an area now where I think we're kind of seeing everything come to fruition. Look, it's hard to nail this down to one thing and because it's not one thing, it's a whole bunch of different things. I've heard a lot of anecdotal stories, a lot of friends that I know had season tickets let those season tickets go. Um, I just think this is a scenario by which you had um, a fan base here in Winnipeg that was so crazy, so fervent, that for a lot of years, you know, after 2011, when the Jets weren't really that great of a show as a hockey team, the fans in the stands were the show, right? Mm, And they they were until you took them to 2015 and they finally made the playoffs and they put on this grand spectacle of fandom that is, you know, really, I'm not sure that I've seen it matched in any playoffs that I've covered since. 
And then the team said, hey, that was great. We're going to tear down again and rebuild for a couple more years here. And the fans stuck with it and got through all of that. And the, the one thing I don't like about this situation is that how it's being framed as the fans. The Winnipeg Jets fans have given everything they possibly could for a long time. And it, it, I think what's happening here is we, we have to remember in this that it, it's a business, right? And right now what's happening is people are saying there's a problem and it's the fans' fault. I think there needs to be a conversation between the Winnipeg Jets organization and its fans to say, listen, we used to have a 60,000-person wait list to get a crack at season mm. tickets. And now people have left. So what I think needs to happen is there needs to be a conversation of, hey, where'd you go? Why did you go? And what can we do to get you back? I just think this was, you know, true north. And the, and the Winnipeg Jets had this captivated fan base that just gave and gave and gave and gave. So you didn't need to have amazing in-game promotions. You didn't need to have like great music. You didn't need to have a show. You didn't need to have a band like you did in Nashville. They just showed up no matter what you did, no matter what you offered, whether it was good hockey on the ice or bad hockey, whether or not there was, you know, giveaways, anything like that. So I think this is the first time that True North has been challenged with selling a product to a fan base. And I think that this is the bumps on the road we're seeing as they go there. You know, that that's really, first of all, that's great perspective. Second of all, I think that, you know, Elliot and I have talked about this both here and on the podcast a lot, Sean, and, and that is, you know, the fear of what happens when you try to rebuild. You know, there was a time where we all wondered, okay, this is the moment where Kevin Sheveldayoff is going to pull the trigger and, you know, Shifley is going to the Bruins and Hellebuck is going to the Red Wings and that's the way this thing is going to, is going to, and then there were the identical contracts for both. What I'm curious about is how much does the softening of the attendance, which you frame and I think correctly is going back pre-pandemic, which is the beginning of it, which is not coincidentally, you know, the uh, with the exit of one of my favorite players of all time, Dustin Bufflin, but that's for another mm-hmm. another conversation for another day. You know, how much of how much of those contracts are a direct reflection of, hang on a second here, we can't go the traditional tear it all the way down rebuild route. We need to give fans a reason to come to the games. We're going back with the goaltender. We're going back with double nickels in the middle. Yeah, so I, I I don't like this narrative that the Winnipeg Jets have to have, uh, or Winnipeg Jets fans have to have a winning team on the ice, or they won't show up. Because what that's another way that's code of saying this is not a hockey market. If you're a fan base that doesn't support a team when they're in a rebuild or, or exciting young players coming up, then then you're I don't think you're a hockey market. I don't think you can claim to be a hockey market if you're only there for a winner. And this market has proven time and time again, as I detailed in the first answer, that they're there to show up and support their team. They're there to show up and support hockey. So this is one thing I've been pretty loud about, you know, in my commentary on our podcast over and over again. I don't agree with the assessment uh, that seems to be coming from the organization itself that they needed to retool. They couldn't rebuild. One of the most exciting seasons that fans ever talk about is 2017 when Kyle Connor showed up mm. and Patrick Lyonne showed up and scored 36 goals as a rookie. And you had this young up and coming team and Josh Morrissey was, you know, kind of having a coming out party and, and uh, Nikolai Ehlers was doing his thing. And this fan base went nuts for that. And they didn't make the playoffs and they made a late push, but no one was under the impression they were going to make the playoffs for the vast majority of the season. And people were going crazy because the future was bright. So, I mean, the one thing I'll say about the the, the Hellebuck and the Shifley re-upping is if you go and you sell those guys, you, you bring those guys in, you turn to the fans and you say, there we go. We locked them down. They're here to stay. Well, it's still the same core that last year, you know, had that epic kind of collapse, the yeah. same core that the year before missed the playoffs, the same core that the year before that in the, in the pandemic years, you know, was the 14th seed going out of 16, going into the playoffs that year. So I, I it, listen, I'm not saying it's not important that, that Shifley isn't staying and Hellebuck isn't staying and that players of that caliber choose to retire or try to retire lifelong Winnipeg Jets. But nothing has changed. And so if you're if you're trying to sell 
fans on what's new, what's exciting, the different direction the team is going in. I think it's hard to do that when basically what you've shown to be changing is you've moved Pierre-Luc Dubois for a couple other players who've done great, Mm -hmm. but, you know, Rasmus Kupari is not going to drive 2,000 season ticket sales, right? So Mm -hmm. the Jets are trying to figure this out, and they think Rick Bonus is the answer. They think they've got the answer in the room. Things went wrong, and he can turn them in the right direction. But for a fan from the outside, there's not a lot that looks like it's changed. So could there be a wait-and-see approach? Are these gonna, guys going to start winning? Or are they going to start re- resuming, you know, being the 2018-19-20 team that, you know, had so much promise? Maybe there's a little bit of that waiting. But uh, I think if the Jets would have decided to tear down and rebuild and would have got a lot of really nice assets coming up here, I think that there would have been butts in the seats because Winnipeggers are hockey fans and they like to watch guys, the, the rise of good players. They yeah. like to see things come together. This is a hockey market. I don't buy into the narrative that you have to have a good team or people won't show. Okay, let me go back fishing in the same pond then. Then were those okay. contracts maybe maybe then a reflection of a really tough trade market right now? Like one of the things that I don't think we can stress enough is how teams are up against the cap. And if you want to bring in someone like Mark Shifley, that's not going to be cheap. If you want to bring in someone like Connor Hellebuck, that's not going to be cheap. And some of the teams, and we think of, you know, with Shifley specifically, I mean, Boston is sort of the obvious one here. They might not even have the assets needed to bring in someone like that. Is that a contributing factor to to re-upping with these two players? Oh, yeah. And I feel like I feel like this is, you know, one of those questions you're asking me that you know more about me than this. You know, you've got your insider. You have <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. You guys have NHL outsider here. Uh, I, I think, I think we know that uh, that what happened in the summer was there was a check to see if these players would move, and I think these players at some point were interested in moving, and maybe mm-hmm. the grass wasn't so much greener on the other side. But that doesn't mean for a second that the Winnipeg Jets, especially Kevin Shoveldayoff, Mark Chipman, the owner of the team, wouldn't have really wanted you know Mark Shifley locked down for life. Connor Hellebuck, one of the, you know, one of the best, if not the best goaltenders in the NHL, locked down for life. Mark Chipman is a, a really romantic guy when it comes about hockey. And outside the building, he he grew up a Jets 1.0 fan, a Jets WHA days mm-hmm. fan, right? Yeah. So he's the guy who made, makes sure that there's that Dale Howarchuk statue outside the building, which is like uh, the pride of Winnipeg. I grew up in this area Dale Howarchuk was the biggest thing in Winnipeg when I was growing up in the 80s. And so to have him there really links the city to something that was important for them Agreed. for a long time. And I think Agreed. I think that Mark Chipman has always really wanted the story to go in a direction where their first ever draft pick, they get the team back. The first name they call is Mark Shifley, who was an off-the-board pick at the time. And they said yeah. very strongly this is going to be our future number one center he's turned into that they wanted this to be them winning the cup in 2018 or 2019 and mark shifley staying lifelong with this team and them putting up a statue right beside dale howarchuk who was his coach and junior and his mentor in his career it's it is a fairy tale story to tell yeah the only thing is the fairy tale went sour in 2018 when their momentum got stopped by Vegas and this this organization really hasn't recovered from that to get back to what its potential was. So yeah. so I, 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 I agree with you that there was, a, I think there was a strong chance those players were going to be moved. I expected them to be moved, but that doesn't mean that the organization, the people at the very heart of this organization aren't excited overjoyed and proud mm-hmm. that they were able to bring those players back. Let me. I've got about a 90 seconds to do this one. Let's see if we can get a hot 90 here. So then okay. if the Winnipeg Jets are going to have a successful season, and there have been some, some big losses and the attendance story has dominated the headlines and a uh, real tough injury to Gabe Velarde before that, real tough injury to Billy Hainala, who, you know, once again, like, okay, here's the chance and bam, um, if the Winnipeg Jets are going to be successful this season, blank has to happen. They need to get consistent. So I know they've started one three. They've this is a team that usually doesn't play well and gets saved by its goalies. Right now, this team is playing really well, and its goalies haven't had a quality start yet in its first four games. They're a better team than their record indicates. And we've seen early last season what the Jets look like when they mm. follow the Rick Bonus model. They're a very, very strong team. 
Last year, it fell apart. Rick Bonus will tell you they all went back to their old habits that had been plaguing them for years under Paul Maurice. So he's trying to break habits. These guys are the smokers that just can't put it down. They can't break those <laughs> habits. So if they can break the habit, if Rick Bonus can break that habit and this team can find consistency, uh, they'll be a team competing. We, ha- we cross our fingers because I think to your point earlier, and it, it's the right one, this is one of the best fan bases in the NHL, hands down, and one of the most creative Agreed. Fan bases. We can oh, all God, recall yeah. after the Vancouver games, whether it was Parisi coming to town, silver medal chance. Those yeah. are wonder. Like it's just like it is one of the most creative and engaged and fun crowds to be part of, or at least just watch uh, from a distance. So we uh, we cross our fingers that things turn around uh, for Winnipeg, both on and off the ice. Uh, Sean, thanks as always, pal. You be good. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me on. Sean Reynolds uh, from Sportsnet.ca, also covering the uh, the Vancouver Canucks on multi platforms. Uh, Sean is versatile that way. Always love going to Sean for everything Winnipeg. Only a couple of games as we wrap up the program here for another week. And and by the way, if you're if you're listening on podcast, thank you. Uh, listening live across the Sportsnet Radio Network, thank you. Uh, watching us live on 360, whether it's at your home, maybe you have this on uh, at your place of business, whether it's a restaurant or a sports retailer, wherever. Uh, thanks so much for for popping this thing on hot for uh, for a couple of hours a day. Um, Calgary Flames facing off against the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight. There is uh, the 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 Johnny Gaudreau story. That romantic tale is done now, right? The story moving on is you know can the Calgary Flames string together some wins here on the road? And one of the big stories too is is the Patrick Line experiment at center on life support, or maybe even done. Line A saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, I can't seem to do anything right now. I love Patrick Line A. Blunt as always. That one tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet 1. Also tonight at 7.30, I keep telling you folks, must-see TV. The New Jersey Devils facing off against the undefeated New York Islanders. Only two games on the board tonight. Uh, thanks to Matt Marchese. Thanks to Dave Siss. Thanks to Lance Kennedy. Thanks to General Nick. And Lance, I know that was a highlight talking to Stan Smeal. We got to get you another pizza box autograph from the legend, number 12, Stan Smeal. Have a great weekend.